My guest today on Radical Personal Finance is a dude who did it. He charted out a path to financial independence at a young age and worked like a maniac, saved like a crazy guy, and he did it. He's now financially independent. He's going to share with us a little bit about his story, what worked, what didn't, and was it worth it? Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with me today. Today, I bring you an interview with Scott Allen Turner. Recorded this one at Podcast Movement in Fort Worth, Texas back in August. Scott's a really young, uh, really awesome guy. I thought he was young, but I don't think he's quite that young. But he's a really cool guy, and I'm thrilled to make his acquaintance. And you're basically going to hear me learn about his story. But he's where most of us want to get to. He's the guy to learn from. One of the consistent themes on Radical Personal Finance is financial independence. I believe that should be a goal for most of us. Now, what that looks looks like will vary depending on our background, our circumstances, the type of lifestyle that we envision for ourselves, and the numbers will be very different depending on what aspect. You know, (laughs) financial independence for some is three thousand a month, and financial independence for others is thirty thousand a month. And I don't think, personally, my own opinion. Take it as simply an opinion. My own opinion is that financial independence isn't really the ultimate goal. It's just a step on the way, and it's a worthy goal. If you're working, you might as well work towards something, and if you're saving, you might as well save towards financial independence. And it's it's possible to do it faster than some other people have done, and there's many ways to reach financial independence. But today, I'm going to bring you this story with Scott Allen Turner, and he's going to share with us his experience. Because the reality is he's a pretty normal dude who did some things that most people don't do and achieved a place that very few people will ever achieve. That's the kind of guy we should sit back and learn from. Scott, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thank you, Joshua. Great to be here. <laughs> so this has been fun. Here uh, We're sitting here at Podcast Movement, and one of the opportunities of a conference like this is I've been able to talk to a lot of people who are in the financial media space. And one of the coolest things about financial media is that a lot of people in this space are what I think of as just normal people. And so I love to bring those types of stories and that type of advice to the radical personal finance community because it's often much more accessible. So kick us off with, share with, uh, share with us a little bit about your story, especially as it pertains to money. Sure. My story, as I like to say, I was a money moron coming out of college. <laughs> I was for many, many years until I started learning about personal finance. My first exposure to personal finance was a guy on the radio by the name of Clark Howard. Nice. Love Clark. Consumer advocate who's been doing it for a number of years. Saw his billboard up on a sign, started listening to his radio show, and really was a uh, pivoting point in my life, realizing all the stupid stuff I had done thus far and really got me thinking about, oh, here's how you should really handle money. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, the only lessons I got from my parents about learning about money was save some of what you earn. I mean, <laughs> I mean that was it. And nothing hey, at least they taught you that. That's <laughs> yes. not the most normal lesson. Right. So I got that bit, but nothing about here's what compound interest is. Here's how you go take out a loan. They never, they rented their entire lives. So there yeah. was nothing about how, here's how to buy a house or anything along that lines. So from learning about Clark Howard, listening to him, 
I started correcting some of my mistakes that I had made coming out of college, having credit card debt, having student loan debt, paying way too much money for automobiles and really getting under my head mm -hmm. and taking it from there and turning my life around. Isn't it cool how a radio guy like Clark Howard can be just such a constant source of advice and encouragement as you're making changes? I mean, he's been doing this for a long time and he has impacted, I don't know how big his footprint is, but he's impacted so many lives. And I just love it because with radio, oftentimes people get intrigued. Mm -hmm. They can choose when to kind of tune in and over time, they probably at first saying, what's, what's, what's this guy going on and on about? But as with anything, you know, the average of the people, the five people that you spend the most time with, and oftentimes with media, that can turn into a radio person. Right. <laughs> What was it about his message that captured you? He's really a down-to-earth guy. And people who listen to him for a period of time, they will always relate that to you. Like, you can connect with him. He's not influenced by products or services. He doesn't take any endorsements. He's just telling it like it is mm -hmm. from his standpoint. He's very frugal. He's called America's cheapskate, I believe, <laughs> is what people refer to him as. And so, really, there's just a lot that you can take away from him how to get the best deals on how to buy stuff, where to go to get your insurance, how to get started investing. He's, he's just so knowledgeable and has such a breadth of experience and he's been doing it for so long. He's one of the guys on my list I'd like to get on Radical Personal Finance at some point because from my understanding, he has a pretty cool financial independence story. He worked hard, grew a travel agency, sold that and retired, as I understand it. And then he went on and b built the Clark Howard community, I mm -hmm. guess I'll say, the right. show and all the associated things. But I heard him mention one time when I was listening to a show that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't spend any of the money that he makes with Clark, uh, with Clark Howard. He basically saves either all of it or 70% of it, or it's just some massive percentage of it. And it's, he doesn't do it because he has to, he does it because he loves it. Right. And uh, it's cool. I can't stand how slow he talks. I have to listen to him on as quick of a speed as possible. And he knows that he gets uh, he gets that feedback on his show sometimes. But if I listen to him at at uh, normal speed, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Sure. One of the other complaints about people had it's not really a complaint. It's more of a funny story that people have about him over the years. It's like here's how you can make a living answering the same five questions <laughs> for three hours a day for decades. Right, right. <laughs> Which is not true. He goes into a lot more information. Yeah. But it's what I enjoy about his show is it's not just straight up personal finance. So open a retirement account, do that. I enjoy his little travel tips. Uh, he's actually tuned into you know the cell phone marketplace. This consumer scam information is interesting. He, it's an interesting show. It's very different than uh, it's very different than some of the other shows. Very different than Edelman. Very different than Ramsey. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a unique show and, and a really cool resource for people. What have those changes meant in your life? Where have you come? What, what's the path from college to where you are today? Uh, coming out of college, I had a lot of uh, student loans, and the key of my original change when I coming out of college was when I got the first student loan bill started mm -hmm. rolling in nine months after I got out of college. I got the first bill. It's like, all right, you owe 100 bucks. Okay, pay that. And then the <laughs> second one comes in, and I look at it and it says, you know, $2 of what you sent in last month was applied to, applied to principal, and $100 <laughs> went to interest. And I'm like, what? I sent you $100, and my bill has only been deduced by, or deducted by 2 bucks. And I was, I was floored. So I, at that point, when you have these situations in your life, you can either get angry or upset. I got angry. I was right. like, whoa. <laughs> right. So at that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to pay off these bills as fast as I possibly can. And I ended up knocking them out in about two and a half years, even though they gave me 10 to pay them all off. Wow. 
like your story I read about what you had on your website where you paid off your loans before you even got out of college. Mm -hmm. So awesome for you. Thanks. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on that. For me, it took a, a, a longer period of time to do that. But it was that realization, well, this interest thing, got to pay attention to that. Right, right. What did you, uh, what did you do for work? Because you've done a number of different things and now you're starting to get into the personal finance discussion space. Sure. I started, I have a computer science degree. Okay. So I was in the technology world for a number of years. I worked for a dot-com startup as well. And then I moved over into the more entrepreneurial role, having some business partners, still working in technology and the online business world. But I've been doing that since then. My story is, I wouldn't say it's identical to Clark Howard's, but I sold a business last year and it enabled me to, quote unquote, retire. Really? Yes. And so at this point in my life, I'm able to do what I want, kind of like what Clark did. His story is, I retired, I was sitting on the beach, and then I got this travel show. And for me, it was, well, I have this opportunity. Let's do something I really love, talking about personal finance, because I've been so interested in it since I came across him you know, many, many years ago. So let's talk about the business. What was the business journey like? It was very difficult. It was, ex it was a lot of hours. I people should know when you're running your own business, let's not sugarcoat it. It's, it's tough. Right. It's a lot of hours. My success came from holding down a full-time job during the day, and then I would build my online business at night on the weekends, mm -hmm. taking vacations and spending time on my business. And throughout over the years, I've had eight companies total, but the pattern would always be the same. I'd build one company, then I would work on that during the daytime, and I'd start a second company in the evening or on the weekends and on vacations. Keep on doing that over and over again. What? So you're being very vague with like the online marketing. You're not allowed to talk about it, or no, can, I can you give some more specifics? Sure. The first company I started was a couple business partners. We taught people about wireless networking, okay. computer networks, taught them to go into hospitals okay. and schools, office buildings, how to hook up a wireless network. Another company I had, the most successful one, the one I sold last year, was green building education training. We taught architects about green building, energy efficiency, design, continuing education. That was all online as well. Okay. Had a couple offshoot weird companies as well. My wife and I produced a DVD on how to toilet train your cat. Wow. <laughs> uh, Did we, you make money? Oh, we made a little bit. Not enough to call it a success. <laughs> we, we learned a lot. Uh, Do your cats actually get on the toilet seat and like... They up. used to, yes. They used to. We moved around a number of times, and now they're kind of outdoor cats for uh, part of the day, so that makes it a little bit easier. I have a certified financial planner myself, and he says, you didn't fail at the business. You got an education. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> very positive spin on it. I do often think about that. If we were to take the amount of money that we, were, that we put into tuition at colleges and schools, formal schools, if we were to take that and we were to invest that money into a business or starting a series of businesses, recognizing that we might lose it all, and then at the end of, say, five years, we were to compare the amount of knowledge and wisdom that we gained from five years in school or five years in business, I'm, I'd put my money behind the business being a pretty good use of the money for the price of the education, even if it was all lost. Yes. Nowadays, especially with the cost of tuition skyrocketing, I mean, it's crazy from when I went to school. Right. As my wife says, my wife went to TCU, Texas, Texas Christian University, which is here in Fort Worth. And she likes to say, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to go to TCU now because mm -hmm. the cost has gone up so much. Yeah, especially the private schools, definitely. Yeah. So how old are you now? I am 42. And you consider yourself financially independent? Absolutely, yes. That is awesome. So from not paying attention at 21, 22, you graduated. Right. To 42, about 20 years, 
you've been able to build it. How's it feel, man? It's amazing. I get to work because I want to work, which is, hey, pickle man. <laughs> There's a giant green pickle standing in front of our table from the uh, Podtainment uh, magazine. <laughs> Uh, financial freedom is amazing. I get to work. I don't call what I do now work, and I haven't for a long time because I do what I'm passionate about. But I get to work because I want to work, not because I have to work. Mm -hmm. That's my definition of financial freedom or quote-unquote retirement. It's different for everybody. I get to hang out with my kids during the day. I have twins. How old are they? I have twins, and they're about to turn two okay. in October. So I get to get them up in the bed in the morning. We get to hang out during the day. They are in daycare a few days a week to get them out of our hair. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so they can learn Spanish and other little things that they teach them at daycare. Um, make a mess so that we don't have to clean it up. <laughs> but we get to do stuff during the day. I get to see my wife. I've worked from home for 12 years now, being an entrepreneur, which has been great. And save a ton of money working from home. Sure. You make your own lunch every day. Sure. At what stage of your business journey did you start to think about financial independence? The interesting thing is I never did. Because when I started my first company with the business partners that they, they approached me, I had a specific set of skills they needed to build their business. I knew how to build websites and they did not. So they gave me part of the company in order to join it and work on the website. And I was just so ecstatic and happy to be building websites mm -hmm. and there was no money we had no money to start to uh, coming into the company and so it wasn't no well i'm doing this to make more money i was doing this because oh i get to build websites that's exciting and really through the years it was always oh i get to start a new company or we've got this new idea well we might make money but we can go have fun in doing it anyways mm -hmm. it was really the passion that drove it to me and the money was just a byproduct it wasn't all right we're going to start this in 12 months from now, we're going to be making X dollars or trying to be making X dollars. Never even crossed my mind. Some businesses I had were, were successful. Some were not. But they were always because I wanted to do it. And it was fun. Right. What's your plan now? Setting up the finances to provide for an income from 42 is very different than doing it at 72. What's your big picture financial plan for how you're going to provide your income off of your nest egg? Sure. Uh, some of that... Right now, we do not have any rental homes, so mm -hmm. we're looking at getting some rental homes, be able to have some passive income from that later on in life. We've accumulated enough and invested enough and done enough smart things. We've lived way below our means for, I've been married for 10 years. When I say so we, I'm talking about my wife and I. Mm -hmm. We've always lived way below our means from the income that we've come at, um, had over those years, been able to save it up. So really, we can live off what we have for a really, really long time and not have to tap into that for decades if we didn't want to. Was you, so during the time you've been married for 10 years, so you would have been partway through this journey of building these businesses. Uh, did your wife have money when you married? No, she did not. And, and myself, when we met, I, had, I was working full-time at a corporate job, and then I was building my business on the side. Right before I met her, I decided I was going to go full-time on my own business, and I, take, I took a 65% pay cut in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So when I met her, I was actually not making hardly any money at all. <laughs> I mean, it was making really not much. And then she had just graduated from college. Her grandparents paid for her schooling, but she had an auto loan. But other than that, she didn't come into the relationship with any money either. So we're kind of starting it with not much when we got married. Did you have 
money at that time? Did you have savings or you were still in the, it's all in the business and maybe I'll sell these things one day? I had an emergency fund because I had been listening to Clark Coward for probably a, a couple years mm-hmm. at that point. So I had my six month emergency fund. When we got married, she had a townhouse. I owned a house and we decided, all right, I'm going to sell my house and I'll move in with you so she could be closer to her work. Okay. From the sale of that house, I had a a good chunk of money that came in from that because the stock or I'm sorry, the housing market was huge at that time. Awesome. People were overpaying for houses, kind of like they are now. (laughs) (laughs) It was prior to the uh, housing bubble burst. Right. Did, did she, did she share the financial independence vision with you? Was there, what was it like working through that? Because I just know that even in talking with my wife, uh, as we talk about our financial plans and goals, it's unusual that couples share the financial independence vision, uh, at least in the beginning. Usually it's often one person and then we're going to do it. And there's a lot of work involved. I mean, you've been working your tail off for two decades. Right. Or at least a decade and a half. And, you know, once you kind of start to get things established, it's not easy to live a life where, all your friends are going out every night and everyone's hanging out and here you are working 40 hours and then at this time you quit, but here you are working morning, noon and, and weekend. Uh, what was that like as far as in your relationship? Part of the, what helped us is we had similar backgrounds and upbringing. We both came from small rural towns to population 2000, each of us mm-hmm. different parts of the country. Our parents were generally middle class. My wife's dad was a pastor my dad worked for, we called him the road boss. He worked on for the town for okay. a number of years. So very modest backgrounds. Neither of us grew up with a lot of money. We had beater cars <laughs> right. during uh, high school. So from that standpoint, we came from a background of, you know, we don't, we don't have fancy clothes. We don't have fancy cars. And we're used to not going out to eat or going on expensive vacations. And that's the mindset we had when we came into the marriage. Very similar backgrounds. So we're kind of comparable. Now, after I sold my house and we were combining incomes, we did have a pretty good chunk of savings from that. And I think my wife, we won't call it that she nagged me, but <laughs> for several months she said, you know, we need to get somebody to help us with this. We need to get a, a third party involved mm-hmm. to help us guide us and manage our finances. And at that point, we met with a certified financial planner who agreed to take us on, even though we were nowhere near the un- income level mm-hmm. that they typically require right. the level of wealth that uh, people want to manage. He was fairly new to his company as well. I think mm-hmm. that helped with the situation. And we sat down with him. He really helped us lay out our goals, say, here's what you can do with your money. I learned about nesting, how mm-hmm. women need to nest and make the house look nice. <laughs> so he said, you know, you can afford to give Katie $1,000 to decorate. <laughs> I, really, you know, I, was, uh, I was like, all right, well, we, we can keep this ugly looking couch. And why do we need pictures on the wall? We don't need pictures on the wall. <laughs> Amazing how you learn that when you move into a place and it's kind of you're settled there. Right. And you learn that uh, it's not all about how many dollars in the bank account. It's also about how beautiful your house looks and that the level of contentment that comes in a marriage from that is worth far more than a thousand bucks. Yes. Happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) If you were going back, so so what's your message? Like what's your core message now? You're moving into the space of talking about finance. What do you have to share that you think is missing out there? I'm trying to educate the people that were in my position early on. They don't know about money. They don't know about debt. They're not familiar with interest rates, how to go out and buy a car, 
I got into trouble with car loans, so I try to teach people, you know, pay car, pay for a car with cash if you can. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, you know, here's how to get at least get the best interest rate. I'm trying to reach out, you know, the young, the younger Scott Turners that are out there that might be listening, but they don't want to hear from a guy who's wearing a suit and tie or, you know, collared shirt and jacket, which is just not my style. Right. <laughs> right. If you were going to go back and speak to the 18-year-old you, what would be the specific steps that you would give them to say, do these things to achieve financial independence by 40? Sure. The first thing I like to tell people is you've got to have goals and they've really got to be written down. A couple, Our financial planner asked us to do this when we first got married. He said, write down a bunch of goals. Um, you know, What are your five-year goals? What are your 10-year goals? And we did. And it wasn't until a couple years ago I actually went back and pulled them out and realized, holy cow, we've actually achieved <laughs> Isn't that goals. the craziest thing? I know. And some of them were just <laughs> off the wall. I had always wanted to go to Egypt. And I had completely forgotten about it. And I'm pulling out this thing. It's like, oh, we actually went to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So writing down goals. And there's been studies about when you write down goals, you review them, you're more likely to achieve them. And I know it's hard for everybody because it seems like such a weird concept. What do you mean you know, i got to write stuff down? Why can't I just do it? But there's just this strange power in doing that. It does something in your mind. The chemicals do something. Whatever happens. But when you're writing it down, you look at it periodically, even if it's once a month, every six months, you're more likely to accomplish those things. So number one is just um, write down your goals. Number two is, and it's, it's thrown around all the time, it's really living, spend less than you earn, mm-hmm. live below your means, don't wipe out every paycheck as it, as it comes in. Dude, just automate your savings. If you've got a 401k, put money in your 401k. If not, go out and set up an individual retirement account. Get started with a Roth IRA. You don't have to have the nicest clothes. You don't have to drive a BMW as soon as mm-hmm. you get out of college or a brand new Toyota or a brand new car at all. Right. You, know, you can drive your beater for a number of years. And really, if you do just those couple things, that puts you ahead of half the country, half the world, who just blows all their money. Did you shoot for a specific uh, percentage of your income to save? I did. When I first started listening to Clark Howard, his message was save 15% of your income. So that's what I tried to set aside, 15 to 20%. And then as I got bonuses or raises, I would try to increase that because I had a very modest level of uh, living when I was single. I did have a home and a mortgage but I brought my lunch to work every day. I didn't go out to eat a whole lot. Part of that ties into working all the time, and I didn't have a ton of friends. Mm -hmm. But really, from the time I got out of college throughout my entire corporate life, I can count on two hands the number of times I actually went out and bought lunch. I brought my lunch to work every day, and it just allowed me to save thousands and thousands of dollars. Your life sounds absolutely miserable to many people. What do you, how do you answer them? It may, but I always did what I loved. I loved to program. And even though I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, I never considered it work. If you think maybe you're a musician and you love playing music and you play music and get to practice that all day long, is it really work? I mean, if you're in a symphony or something, if that's your job or whatever else you may happen to do. A lot of people are stuck in jobs that they hate. So for you to say... Well, you go to work 60, 70, 80 hours of work. Yeah, if you're in a miserable job, it does sound miserable. But if you're doing what you love, it's not miserable at all. It's not work. And to me, it was never work. When I started these companies on the side, and I would not make any money for years at a time, 
I didn't care because I was doing what I loved. I was sitting at a computer, writing code, which is not for everybody. <laughs> but I have the mindset of, to me, it wasn't work. I was solving puzzles. I was playing games. I was making creative things, using my creative mind, which is what I was wired for. And like what I'm doing now, I spend my days writing blog posts or working on podcasts, tweaking my website or doing the graphics or I'm on social media. It's not work. If I thought it was work, I wouldn't do it. I'd go sit on a beach and drink margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thanks for coming on. This has been awesome. Uh, give everyone your website, uh, your podcast. Uh, give everyone any info uh, that you want to share with them. Sure. My website is scottallenturner.com, A-L-A-N, and I can be reached on Twitter at scottallenturner.com. Oh, sorry, at Scott Allen Turner <laughs> as well. So it is Scott Allen Turner on Twitter. Yes, okay. it is. All right. Cool, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Joshua. Mix a little hard work with a little entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurship. I'm not sure the right word. But mix a little hard work in with some entrepreneurial endeavors. Mix a lot of savings and some careful spending decisions in and... You can set yourself up in a pretty cool place. I tell you, you know, I'm 30 years old. I wish I'd done it when I was 20. I wish I was sitting here financially independent. Plan is, by 40 or sooner, I think I'll be there. But right now, I'm not there. Kind of wish I were. So if you're 20 years old and you're listening to Radical Personal Finance, or if you're 13, I know I have uh, one 13-year-old listener who emailed me one, or showed me, shot me a message one time and said they listened. Pay attention to stories like this. And hey, guess what? If you're 50 or 60 or 70, pay attention to stories like this. (laughs) You take it from there. I guess paying attention isn't the only step. You got to actually do something. But hey, do something, would you? I'll let you decide today what you want to do. Thank you all for listening to these interviews. Uh, We'll be back from the interview blitz uh, starting in October. Uh, the interview blitz while I am away out of town at uh, a couple of at XYPN and FinCon. Also, while I'm working with my family and kind of getting some things caught up with the show. Uh, my plan is October, we should be back to the nor- more normal ebb and flow of the show with uh, fewer interview shows. Uh, we'll see if that happens, but that's the plan as this is being pre recorded. It's going to happen. Of course, no good plan survives contact with the enemy. So I guess tune in in October and you'll see. Uh, thank you to each and every one of you who support the show. Please consider, if you're not, please consider going to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Signing up to be a patron of the show, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. The big goal around here is 250 patrons total by uh, the uh, date of September. By the way, in case you think that your contribution there doesn't matter, you might know that fewer than 5% of you listening actually support the show. Uh, so most of you just listen, which is fine. But very few, a few of you support the show. So each and every one of you who does makes a huge difference for me and my ability to continue to bring you uh, in-depth, high-quality content. I'd really love to keep doing that. So please go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and support the show. Cheers, y'all.